Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and live tonight from Indomitian Sue's accountant's office, it's the 4th and Inches show with Jenna and the Sherpa. I'm Scott Swainy, otherwise known as the Sherpa, host of the fantasy football site, fantasyfootballsherpa.com. My co-host, Jenna Kimmel. Take it away, Jenna. Hello. <laughs> it's been a whole week, although Scott and I hung out yesterday in New York and we filmed a couple of cool web shows for the Learning Annex and Ustream all about fantasy football strategy that should be up in a couple of days. So we're going to talk some strategy tonight on the show, but the videos are definitely worth checking out, especially since I'm sure you've all wondered what the Sherpa and I actually look like in real life. <laughs> and by the way, tonight's tonight's uh, show is, is born out of laziness on my part, at least. I figure we might as well repurpose the content from last night's uh, video shoot. It's not all the same. People aren't going to watch if you make them think that's all that we're doing. Oh, okay, sorry. We've got expanded stuff. Well, that's right. We're going to talk more tonight. We only only had about 20 minutes last night, and tonight we have a whole hour, so we can expand on some of our disagreements then, if we have any. And if you want to be a part of our disagreements or our discussion, there are a ton of ways to get a hold of us throughout the whole hour that we're going to be here till 10.30 Eastern tonight. You can give us a call at 347-677-1608. That's 347-677-1608. Or you can tweet us at the number 4THN Inches Show. That's the number 4THN Inches Show. And our email address is the same handle, the number 4THN Inches Show at gmail.com. Or throughout the week, you can find us on FantasyFootballSherpa.com or the Fantasy Football Sherpa fan page on Facebook. And like I said, we've got those two web shows on the Learning Annex and Ustream that should be going up later this week that we will get you links to as well on all of these methods of communication so you can be sure to find us there too. (laughs) You know what was kind of ironic about yesterday, Janet? What's that? This show lasts an hour it mm-hmm. took us approximately an hour to find each other yesterday in Penn Station with all the <laughs> wandering around. Well, I don't have a great sense of direction, so... Have you tried Hare Krishna? Oh, thanks. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun yesterday. I enjoyed that. And Jenna paid me the was. ultimate compliment. She told me that I was even better looking in person than I am on the radio. <laughs> Well, enough about us. Let's talk about some NFL players who are finding new teams, injuries, or still at home, even though the preseason has already started. Or injuring uh, like, themselves at home while they're waiting yeah, for the like we, like we mentioned at the top of the show, Chris Johnson, or, or, we, we briefly touched on, Chris Johnson is continuing his holdout. He wants to be one of the top paid players in the entire league, not just at running back. Um, so... Javon Ringer is the number two on the depth chart, don't you think? Uh, Maybe. Javon Ringer, the number two on the Titans' depth chart, and I guess right now the default number one is looking pretty good as a fantasy option for the time being. And the rookie Jamie Harper is behind him. Uh, Let's see what else we have here. The 49ers signed veteran quarterback Josh McCowan to a one-year deal today. I guess that means Dante Culpepper is not going to be a 49er, although they did work him out this week. 
Peyton Hillis felt a little soreness in his hamstring this afternoon after practice, but says he should be fine. Uh, we have another round of preseason games coming up this weekend, and some early notes from those is Cam Newton's going to start against the Dolphins for the Panthers this Friday night. John Beck's going to start for the Redskins this week, thus ending the Rex Grossman uh, experience we were all on. <laughs> Does he still think they're going to win the division now that he's not starting at quarterback anymore? I, I, I'm not really sure how Rex Grossman justifies his world, but you know what? Now I'm he sure probably thinks they're going to finish with the worst record next year, have the number one draft choice, and still not take a new quarterback. Probably not. He seems very secure in his if Andrew job. Luck is like available next year. They're going to, if Andrew Luck is doesn't maim himself during his senior year, the Redskins are, are still going to pass on him because they've got Rex Grossman as their quarterback going into next year. We've spent far too much time talking about Rex Grossman already. We're moving on. Talking about Andrew Luck. Nope. The Bills traded wide receiver Lee Evans this week to the Baltimore Ravens for a fourth-round pick, but before they actually traded him, they paid him a $1 million roster bonus and a $100,000 workout bonus. So basically they paid $1.1 million for a fourth-round draft pick. Uh, What is the workout bonus? Um, basically just showing up and not failing your physical three times in a row, I think. How do we get but, one of those? Uh, I don't know. I I hope <laughs> I think we should negotiate that. <laughs> we probably have to be NFL players first. Uh, maybe. Uh, OCU Meniere's decided to return to Giants practice, and I use return lightly now. since he hasn't really done anything, but he's back, sort of. Does the he have Patriots a workout bonus? Ah, stop. We're going through these, and then we'll talk. (laughs) The Patriots worked out wide receiver TJ Hushmanzada this week. Uh, His most productive years were with Chad Ochocinco, so maybe they're trying to rekindle the flame there. Maybe they'll find uh, Carson Palmer, too, to take Tom Brady's place. Maybe. Jericho Cottery signed a one-year deal with the Steelers. I think they're upset they didn't get Plaxico, so they're taking from the Jets. Eagles' Jeremy Macklin returned to the team after what appears to have been a potential cancer scare for him. This is finally coming out after all these reports of undisclosed illnesses. He's going to start working out with them after the preseason game this weekend, but he is there and has been cleared to work out. Arian Foster's return to practice. Uh, Sage Rosenfels is not at practice. He's hospitalized with strep throat. And Terrell Owens says he's almost ready to go after his knee injury and subsequent surgery. He's targeting a September return. Now he just needs to find a team to play for. Maybe he has strep throat, too. Maybe. But the good news is it's only 22 days until the season officially starts. So we're getting closer. (laughs) What's the first game of the season? Uh, honestly, I'm still trying to worry about preseason. Okay. <laughs> well, it's usually the defending Super Bowl champions playing somebody, so I imagine it's probably Green Bay and either Chicago or New Orleans or somebody like that, but we'll see. We will find out. But this week, we're focusing on strategy. Okay. So, we're going to break the show into two parts. We're going to spend the rest of the first half hour or so talking about what it means to put together a a great team in your draft, and then the second half of the show we're going to get into things 
that you want to do to uh, winning strategies for your team during the season then, you know, how to maneuver with the, the waiver wire and trades and all that kind of good stuff. So are we ready to go? We're ready. Let's dive right in. All right, so Jenna, how do you define a great team? Everybody wants a quote-unquote great team in the draft. Now, how important do you think it is to have a great team coming out of the draft, and what what is a great team? So, why don't you? Uh, I think everybody's definition kind of varies on it. To everyone, everyone What's has yours? their own uh, their own way to look at it. And for me, I don't necessarily need a roster full of stud star players. I want players that I like, people that are reliable and healthy. <laughs> uh, you want to so have no a nice mix for you. Yeah, no Sage Rosenfels. You want to have a nice pick, a mix of of guys who maybe you bought low on and have a high upside, some high risk, high reward kind of guys, and you want to have some good backups. So we all know I am a big proponent of drafting backups, but you want to have some reliable ones that if you need somebody on a bye week or there's an injury that they'll come in and fill in admirably that you won't have a huge decrease in productivity in your lineup. So for me, a great team is one that wins, but <laughs> that doesn't always happen. <laughs> wins the last game of the season. That's all that counts, right? <laughs> I, well, I like assuming that your your last game of the season is the, the finals of the playoffs and you could – win your last game of the regular season, not be in the playoffs, but that wouldn't do anything for you, would it? No, not so much. So how do I go about starting to prepare for my draft then? How well, I what's, your, what's your definition of a great team? What do you look for in a good team? Pretty much what you were talking about. I just want players that aren't suspended, that aren't, coming off, you know, amputated limbs or anything like that that might cause their productivity to go down this year. Also, ideally, and especially this year in a strike year, I like to look for players that are in stable situations that don't have a new offensive coordinator or that uh, aren't relying on rookie receivers or, or you know, something, you know, new quarterback that's been brought in. So the more stable the environment the, and I'm not talking horses here, the more stable the environment, the, the better I feel about the, the team and the, the players on that team. So, for instance, going into this year, I, on offense, I love uh, Green Bay, of course. That's, that's a no-brainer. Atlanta, I like what they've done. Yes, they're throwing a rookie into the mix at wide receiver, but yeah, that could actually be a good thing. Yeah, Pittsburgh, I also think you know, they, they have almost everybody back, you know, among their, their key you know, you know, core players. So those that's that's my definition of a, a great team then. Guys who are stable, somewhat predictable production with, with enough upside guys on the bench that if one or two of them hit all of a sudden I'm I'm doing really well. That is very true. We wanna have a great team. That's what we all aspire to. <laughs> But as they say, not everybody can be above average. So how do you go about making sure that your team is above average then as you get ready for your draft? What, what do you think is important there, Janet? Uh, there are a couple of different ways you can prepare. And for, again, uh, one of the things we'll keep coming back to is everyone, there are a lot of options and everyone needs to find what works best for them. It, it's going to be a mix and match of all the things we've talked about. And some things will work for you and some won't. 
The number one most important thing going into a draft is you need to know what your league scoring system is. You don't want to realize two weeks into the season that you're in a PPR league and you didn't draft accordingly or it's a touchdown-only league or something crazy like that. Like Know what you're getting into, what is weighted how, and you know put some thought into it when you're drafting. Don't draft a running back with you know, terrible hands if you're in a PPR league. It's just not going to work out that well for you. <laughs> don't draft a quarterback um, in the first round no matter what you do, right? Well, maybe. <laughs> we'll talk more about that later. Uh, you want to have or at least look at some sort of player rankings, be it making your own or using pre-made lists from various sports websites, like, say, FantasyFootballSherpa.com, or there's That's a million a out there. <laughs> they have them in newspapers, magazines, they're everywhere come football season. So find some that you like. I like to have one or two on hand, be it already pulled up on my computer or printed out or in my hand before a draft so that if I get to the middle or late rounds and I'm trying to decide between two or three guys, I can not just go with my gut but see if I can back it up with any of these rankings. Um it does save you some time over making your own rankings, but the drawbacks are that maybe it doesn't quite match up with your league scoring system or somebody recently got injured and they're still on those rankings. So making your own ensures that your own preferences and feelings about players are taken into account along with the scoring system and all that good stuff. But it is going to take you a little more time, so... It kind of if you do a lot of drafts and a lot of leagues, making your own is is beneficial because you can keep reusing them. But to each their own. True, of course. The closer you do it to your actual draft, the better because then that'll minimize mm-hmm. the amount of injuries and season-ending problems that the players could have that would alter their value between the draft day and the time you came up with the rankings. Then. Very true. Okay, so whether you decide to use your own rankings to create your own from scratch or buy them from a source like, say, fantasyfootballsherpa.com, <laughs> one very important thing is to tier players. So why is that so important? Why would you? How would you go about doing that? Uh, I'll take that one first. I mean, just for me, you know, it's it's important to get a sense of the relative value of the different players at the different positions. Suppose there's a run on quarterbacks in the first round of your draft like there was in one league that I'm doing right now. Should you go along with that, or do you go and take a a good player running back or wide receiver? How are you going to know? You're only going to know that if you've actually done the tiering ahead of time. And, of course, you have to – it's a little bit of a balancing act because if you make the tiers too big and say there's 30 players in my tier – in that you know in that tier at quarterback, then you're really not doing yourself any favors. But if you make it too sliced and diced, where you've got one or two players in each tier, you know, then you're just kind of defeating the purpose of it. You might as well you know, just not have that, and you might as well just not even tier the players. Just have them all on one list then. But how do you go about doing it, Jana? Um, for me, I kind of just do it mentally. I don't sit down and and put together a list. I 
I, I mean, I'm a, a sports junkie. I have sports news on all the time. I watch the games over the weekend. So I have an idea of where players fall ability-wise and where I personally like them. I, I have, you know, eight or ten quarterbacks that I consider, you know, top-of-the-line guys I would make a QB1 in any league. And those are guys I'm going to go after first, and I want to make sure I get somebody out of this top tier. Then I have a second and a third tier and a don't draft me even if the world is on fire tier where I don't want any part of them on my team. Stage Rosenfeld in that tier? (laughs) Yeah, among others. But it's uh, for me, a lot of that is gut. And guys I like or guys I've been burned by in fantasy in years past kind of factors into it as well. But that can be a dangerous thing if you rely too much on guys who have burned you in the past. I mean, think of last year if you had drafted Brandon Lloyd all these years hoping he would finally break out and never did, and you just said, ah, this guy's a bum and he's a loser, he's burned me and I'm never going to touch him again. And then all of a sudden you've got the guy that leads the NFL in receiving with 1,400 yards in his eighth season. It's it's tricky because you don't want to write players off because of – you know, if they don't, if you know, just because of the past experience. But on the other hand, we are all human, and we have our biases. And yeah, you know, as long as you're aware put, of that, then. I'm not going to put somebody from the Redskins on my team as a Cowboys fan. I'm just not going to do it short of Chris Cooley. Nobody else is getting on my roster. That's just because I hate the Redskins. <laughs> like I, I fully admit that I have some bias going into fantasy football, and that's how I like to play it. So it works for me. All right, I won't even mention the word irrational then. <laughs> Listen, it's, it's supposed to be fun. <laughs> it is supposed to be it's fun. It's not going to be fun for me important. if I root for that's somebody I hate. That's even more important than knowing your, your league scoring system is to have fun, but that's kind of understood. But uh, I, I agree with you in, in all seriousness. It's just not going to be fun for me with a red skin. <laughs> it's just not oh, going to be. You can root against your fantasy team then. No, not going to happen. With players on it. No? Okay. No. <laughs> All right. So, how much how much time do you actually spend uh, looking at team schedules ahead of of the draft, Jana? And if you look at them, do you look at the whole season? Do you look at just the first few weeks? Do you look at you know the potential playoff rounds? You know what? How much do you take schedules I into consideration? I don't spend all that much time on it. I will look and get an idea of who they're playing, but you know for sure that guys are playing people in their division and they're going to see them twice. And some divisions are going to be more fantasy-friendly than others, for sure. And for me, it's not a make-or-break a guy's schedule. It it may come more into effect for when I'm picking a defense, perhaps, but it's not the end-all and be-all. I'm more concerned with what a player's done previously and how his team looks stability-wise, kind of like we were talking about before. Um, I, from what I recall, you're not a big schedule guy, at least not early on, correct? That is correct. I, I don't like paying attention to schedules just because, as they always say in the in the commercials, past performance is no guarantee of future results. If somebody, if some team stunk last year and then all of a sudden they bring in a new quarterback, yes, I'm looking at you, Arizona, 
if you do something like that, then all of a sudden, you know, Larry Fitzgerald might be worried. He might be a top two or three wide receiver again, versus if they had, you know, brought back, a, you know, a starting tandem of, of Max Hall and John Skeleton this year, then I wouldn't be ranking him in my top three, not even in my top five, maybe not even in my top the, ten. That. The schedule aspect comes more into play when you're looking at picking a guy up off waivers or maybe trades or when you get closer to the playoffs, when it's exactly. really going to impact you. Right now, it's, it's, it's thing. too much of a toss-up. <laughs> it's just, yes. you yes. never really know what a team's going to come out like. Right. I mean, there's some teams, if, if Pittsburgh isn't a good team, you're going to be surprised. If Greenberg isn't a good uh, Greenberg, Green Bay isn't a good <laughs> team, you're going to be surprised. Well, but. there's there's always one team every year that you think is going to be great that comes out and is mediocre, and there's one team you think is going to be terrible and they go above 500. There's always sure, a surprise. There's, there's lots of that. I mean, for all we know, this year the Super Bowl could, could be St. Louis and Cleveland. It's not likely, but you know, it's it's possible. Mm-hmm. Let's not even think about that kind of world. <laughs> Let's move well, on. People in the Midwest <laughs> would be happy. I'm, All right. I'm, no. So, <laughs> We're so done with you've that. checked the, you've checked the schedules or not, and now it's getting close to your draft. So maybe it's a, a couple days away from your draft. So how often should I be looking at the player news? Should I be looking at it every? Should I be re- hitting the refresh button every five seconds on NFL.com's you know, player news, or how often do I need to keep well, up I mean, with ha- things? How exciting is your day job? Maybe you should be hitting refresh a lot, but you probably want to make sure to at least you know read the sports page once a day or, or put on an ESPN type of channel or check a news site for your sports news in the two or three days leading up to your draft. Because if you know Chris Johnson ends his holdout and comes back and blows out a knee the day before your draft, but you don't know about it and you take him first overall – not only are you going to get absolutely ridiculed by the other people in your league, but you've just squandered a pick, a roster spot, and you're real frustrated. So, Or if you pick Sage have... Phelps first overall and then you find out he got cut three days ago, but you didn't check I the think you have. I think you have bigger problems fantasy-wise if you're thinking about taking Sage Rosenfeld first overall. But the point is Maybe that once you, you want to make sure the, that the, you know about a guy getting traded or a big injury in the day or two leading up to the draft. So you aren't blindsided with it the day after your draft or after you make your pick. I think I was, and this is just switching topics a little bit. I was actually in a fantasy baseball draft years ago where somebody actually drafted someone who had been cut like a week or two ago, you know, before the draft even took place. And nobody told him, and everybody was just snickering, but nobody told him, and then all of a sudden he got into the season and found out, hey, wait a minute, that guy's on my team, but he's not even playing anymore. That was pretty embarrassing for him. Oh, see, I would I would have absolutely been the first one to be like, you're an idiot. This is not great. <laughs> but if you said that, then he's going to say, oh, I want my pick back, and then maybe you, you, know, you, you can't. have You can't. You made the people. pick. There's no going uh, back. Well, I was in a draft last night where somebody accidentally picked – the Eagles kicker, you know, because we were doing team defense and team kicker, and the person accidentally drafted team kicker instead of team defense in the fifth round of a draft. It's a 32-team 
draft, mind you, but still, it's, it was pretty embarrassing. So, of course, the person, you know, blamed their 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 phone or, or something like that. But it, it can happen, but... Let's move uh, on. We're, we're talking okay. strategy. We're not talking about specifics here. We're, we're oh, going to okay. keep going. Okay. <laughs> so, so you've checked everything. Now, what should what should we be dra- bringing to the, the draft on uh, draft day itself? Yourself would be good, potentially a computer to draft. <laughs> um, if you have player rankings, pull them up online, bring them with you, have them in hand. Those are good so that you aren't stressed out when you have your minute or two minutes to make a pick and it's later in the draft and you have no idea who's left. Um, you may want to have a tool that keeps an eye on what positions are getting taken or who other teams have so you have kind of a a general idea of where the rest of the league is and if you need to make a move on tight ends. But there's not a ton you need to bring. It's really as much or as little as you want to have on hand. Now, we didn't talk about this during yesterday's show, but what do you think of the whole idea of eating and alcohol during the draft? Good idea or bad idea? Do you need those brain cells to make picks, especially late in the draft, or not so important? Um, not so, I I usually eat during drafts, it doesn't affect me, but, I mean, it's whatever makes you happy. <laughs> if somebody else wants to get hammered drunk and totally mess up the second half of their draft, that's their prerogative, I'll capitalize on it. <laughs> have you ever done that or no? Uh, have I ever gotten hammered during a draft? No. Yeah, me neither. No. <laughs> okay, let's move on. All right, so so now we're we're actually the the big day has finally arrived. So what are some of the strategies that we want to consider on draft day itself? We think that there's generally three different draft strategies that most people might do some variations on them, but they typically fall into three buckets. The first one is just taking the best player available regardless of who it is, as long as you have an opening at that position, you take that person no matter where you are in the draft. The second way is the highest, taking the best player remaining according to position scarcity, where position scarcity I'm defining as the drop-off between the the best-rated option at a position and the mediocre options at a position. And then the third way is what Janet was alluding to before and what Rex Ryan probably follows, and that's just to go with your gut. So Listen, I go with my gut, but my gut does not look like Rex Ryan. <laughs> well, thank goodness for that. So, <laughs> but maybe it's a genetic thing in his family because his brother and his... Well, never mind. So anyway, so what are the pros and cons of each of those uh, draft strategies, Jana, in your, in your mind? Um, I think you have to use a combination Really, I don't. I don't necessarily think you. The best is to go with one over another. I think you use a little of all of them. Um, I'm a big proponent of going with your instinct, but again, I'm kind of wired to sports all the time, so that works for me. Um, but you also don't want to ignore if twelve tight ends get taken simultaneously. You don't want to say, "Let me wait another three rounds." You have to have some idea of what's going on and react to that. You have to be able to react to things in your draft. And you also don't want to ignore if Aaron Rodgers is sitting on the board, don't go take Donovan McNabb. Like <laughs> don't get too crazy and try to overthink things. Sometimes the easiest solution is 
the best one. True. But I'm just thinking, too, sometimes in that scenario that you gave before with the tight ends, suppose you're the only team left that needs a tight end and you don't have any backups available. You might as well at that point just put that at the bottom of your draft and even take a kicker before that because you know you're getting your pick of players. So why not just keep that till the end then if that were to you know, be the That's case? That's ridiculous. That sounds terrible. <laughs> oh, I would never why is do that. that? I would, I mean, it's just not a way I would ever draft. I would never All right, be here's an example. That. You're in a, like in this draft that I'm doing right now, this 32-team draft, and we drafted team quarterbacks. So it doesn't matter, you know, starter versus reserve. It doesn't matter, you know, who's starting in Washington. If you draft Washington, you get the results of whoever is playing quarterback that week. If I'm the only team left that hasn't drafted a quarterback and I know I'm getting the Carolina Panthers quarterbacking thing, it doesn't make any sense for me to take them before the very last round. I would take a kicker before I would take Carolina if I'm only allowed to draft one team quarterback and everybody else has already got theirs. Well, that's not a super common thing to happen, but even if you did, there's always going to be somebody in the league who's going to take that Carolina quarterback just to spite you. There's always but they one crowd because there's a limit of one per that's, team or something like that. That's a very okay. That's a very okay. unique style, and it's really not a popular one. <laughs> I don't think. Right. I think. So what you're saying is, let's move on then. Yes. All right. So why don't we do that then? So now, those are the three different drafting strategies. We're going to use a hybrid. So now let's let's talk some specifics at, at positions then. Uh, quarterbacks, do you like to take them early? Do you wait? What's your philosophy on them? Uh, I don't wait. I love to take a good quarterback early. It's no secret I like to put Aaron Rodgers on my team, and if not, I have three or four other guys that I kind of go right at. I'm going to take a quarterback in one of the first two rounds probably. <laughs> that's I know it's not how most people draft. I take tight ends early too, but it's what works for me, and I like it. All right. If I have, I'm, but if I have a top five pick, you almost have to take a running back. So it a lot. Sometimes it depends on where you're picking. So I'm regardless of whether I have the first pick in the draft or the last you know, pick in the first round. I'm not taking a quarterback at that pick. I'm if waiting. If I have the last pick in the first round, I'll absolutely take a quarterback there. Well, we yep. disagree on that. I mean, since <laughs> I'm 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 very anal and I never deviate from my strategy. If my position scarcity thing tells me that you know the quarterbacks are bunched up pretty closely in terms of value, then you know, the name I'm not so interested in the name if it's Aaron Rodgers or Jay Cutler. As long as I think they're going to get me 4,000 yards, I'm just more interested in the in the numbers. To me, I'm just drafting statistics, and yes, they have a name attached to them, and that name has different probabilities of success depending on whether it's. Aaron Rodgers or Jay Cutler or Sage Rosenfels, but depending on who it is, uh, I I don't care so much. Quarterbacks, I'm fine. You know the old adage that a lot of people follow, being one of the last people to take a first quarterback and being one of the first people to take a backup. That typically works for me, but again, depends on the scoring system. If there's something loopy where the quarterbacks are outrageously valued or there's a huge drop-off between the top couple and the rest of the pack for whatever reason, you know, if you get more points for a, a felony or, or something like that, then you know, by all means go ahead and draft that quarterback first. But I think under most 
scoring systems, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. But you and I disagree on that, and both ways are valid ways okay. of looking at that. So how about running backs? You mentioned before you think if you're top five pick, you almost have to take a running back. Why Why is that? Um, well, in most leagues, and by most I mean almost all of them for sure, running backs are going to be your one through four picks. Uh, five could kind of go either way with a wide receiver or running back, but there, the amount of points that a running back pulls in, whether it's a PPR or a non-PPR, and that's point per reception league, it's just having a big-time running back is going to help your team exponentially. So when you have one through four pick, you almost have to take a running back. I don't like it. I prefer not to have one of the top four picks because of that, but it's just it's mathematically the thing to do. <laughs> well, I, I tend to agree with it, and I don't mind having a top pick just for that very reason. Now, one of the things, and we get back to the, the scoring system in your league particulars, and just to throw in another example, another draft that I'm involved in right now, it's a 12-team league, so no 32-team leagues, but it's a 12-team league, and the odd thing about this is we start two quarterbacks, but only one running back four wide receivers, two tight ends, and a partridge in a pear tree. And the I thing is in that... That sounds like a perfect setup. <laughs> so for me, I had, I think, the, the third or the fourth pick in the draft, and I picked Adrian Peterson as my first pick. I think I was, if not the only person, maybe one or two or three people in that 12 that picked a running back with their first pick. I think Arian Foster might have gone, and maybe Chris Johnson, although I'm not sure. We're in the but sixth again, or seventh. That's not a that's not a common scoring thing. Most no, but I, I'm just saying in this particular in this particular yeah. thing because of the way the the supply and the demand works out with the position of running back, nobody's taking running backs. We're in the fifth round of this draft, I think. Now Jamal Charles is still sitting on there. Why? Because people know there's no real pressure to take running backs, so they don't. I just happen and to think under that scoring format. What did you think they are? <laughs> Pardon? I said, and because the Chiefs are not going to be as good as you think they are. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not the case. But yeah, it's just one of those things where, again, you need to know your scoring system, and not just if it's a PPR or not, but just you know, the different roster requirements by position, including the backups and the influence that's going to have on the supply and demand at each position. I mean, that's why running backs tend to go so high, just because supply and demand yeah, you know, there's there's fewer of them that you can really count on, and you typically need to roster anywhere from two to four of them. So that's typically why they would go early then. Now, on the subject of running backs, before we move on, because I know we still have the whole in-season thing to get to, but what do you think of handcuffing? Good idea or bad idea? And just you know, so that I think, I, I'm I think clear, it's a handcuffing idea. meaning that I'm going to find that I'm going to draft some star players, some star running backs uh, back up just in case that star running player, uh, running back gets hurt then? I think it's a, a terrible idea. I think it's a waste of a roster spot, and there are way better ways to use it. And that if you really don't believe in a guy enough that you want to handcuff him, maybe you should be drafting somebody else. It just well, For me, it's, it's a waste. Suppose it's it's Adrian Peterson, and I totally believe in him. I know in my mind he's the best running back even better than Jamal You're Charles. You're absolutely not going to change my mind on this. I'm never going to be a proponent of handcuffing in fantasy Well, football. I'm not it's either, not but I'm just work. saying that, you know, it's not just because I don't believe in the guy. You know, people do get hurt in the NFL. Tom Brady got hurt, and, you know, all that's, of a sudden, that's not that people would draft. draft. 
people don't draft backups or handcuff quarterbacks, but running backs, it's a pretty common strategy. You know, Chris Johnson, all right, it's not an injury, it's a holdout, but yeah, if I draft Chris Johnson this year, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I want to draft Javon Springer somewhere down the road as long as I don't have to do it with too early a draft pick. But if I'm getting to the point in the draft where everybody's starting to, to pick you know, reserve running backs, if I can, that's that's a good insurance policy, I think. I just I think it's ridiculous. I'd prefer to get a backup on another team that they could both potentially be good instead of one having to be bad and one having to be good. I'd rather have the upside that both could be doing well and I could be picking between two good running backs instead of having to go with one. But and again, the, like the counter argument like to that would be that you know, we don't if, have if time to continue counter arguing about handcuffing. We need to move on. <laughs> All right, I, I'm being put in the straitjacket. Never mind the handcuffs. So, We're how about wide on. receivers? Wide receivers. What about draft them? strategies? <laughs> Early, late, not at all. What do you do? I draft them anywhere in the draft. I'll draft them in the first round and the last round. I just there are a lot of good wide receivers. I don't think you necessarily have to take them in a specific spot. Would you take one in the first round or not? If if Andre Yeah, Johnson I've done it. I've taken like a wide receiver there. in the first round, absolutely. I do. I agree. I, I typically tend to prefer wide receivers. I'm running backs, but there there are times when I make an exception. How about tight ends? When when's the earliest you would consider taking a tight end? The third round. I love tight ends. I love everything about having multiple tight ends on my team. I might even use one as a flex player. I'm crazy like that. I get tight ends, I draft backups of tight ends, I'm always the first one to take one. That's just how it goes. <laughs> I'm I'm definitely as with quarterbacks, I tend to wait on, on them. So you know, oftentimes I'll wait on tight ends till maybe the third to last round of the draft and the only players that I would take after that or the only positions I would fill after that, even after all my backups would be the defense and well, if you've got a guy like Jason Witten on your team, he's going to bring you just as many or more points than some of the wide receivers you may have on your team. They're That's good true, elite. but if I miss There's out on Jason Witten and Antonio Gates... ...that should be taken significantly earlier than you take tight ends, and you are suffering because of it. <laughs> I'm not suffering because of it, because I'm drafting a wide receiver that has a better chance for a, you know, a larger total. I mean, a tight end I'd is not have going Jason to Witten have... On my team. A tight end is not going to have 1,200 yards, whereas a fifth or sixth wide receiver that I draft may, if somebody ahead of them gets hurt, or if it's like Mike Williams and just breaks out. No. But you know, once you get past a certain level with the tight ends, you know, they're all pretty much the same. You throw the names in a bag and pick them out. So if I well, miss out I on the top guys, and I probably and will, then... Tight end by the time you're drafting yours. So it, and I, think I, I much prefer drafting the way I do. <laughs> I, I know you do, and that's why you draft the way you do and <laughs> why I draft the way I do. So anyway, that's part of the fun is disagreeing about things. And and so how about kickers and defense? Do you agree with me that they should be the last two things taken, usually defense and kicker, or would you consider drafting a defense earlier? I take them earlier. I, I'm usually drafting a, a very last backup wide receiver or running back with my last round pick, not a kicker or a defense. I prefer to have someone – that I know is reliable and I can count on and have an idea of what kind of production I'm going to get out of them. So I take a defense or a kicker earlier because I want to have somebody good that I know will bring me points. Going into last year, who would you have thought would have scored you more fantasy points, Mason Crosby or Sebastian Janikowski? 
I would have thought Mason Crosby, and I would have been wrong, but I would have been happier rooting for Mason Crosby on my team than Sebastian Jennings. And you probably would have picked him you know, at least a round or two before that I would have, and then I would have grabbed another wide receiver or running back that might have been better than the guy that you picked in the last round then while I was taking Sebastian Yanikowski. Actually, I probably would have but whoever I'm taking in the last round is not going to be starting week one of my lineup, so I'm not that worried about if it's going to be better than you picking somebody two rounds earlier because it's not my starter. Okay. So how about, (laughs) speaking of backups, do you draft backups before you would draft some of these uh, defenses and kickers and all, or or do you just throw all your starters first and then try to pick backups? I I will fill my starters for the most part. I may pick a backup because there's somebody at a good value. But uh, I'm picking backups, you know, as soon as I can. I take backups at every position. So I take them early and often, and I intersperse my kicker and defense amongst them. All right, a couple of last draft day questions, and then we'll move on to the in-season stuff. But first of all, does draft position matter to you or not? Do you think you can win from anywhere in the draft? Or if somebody yeah. said you can have any draft spot you want, you had a 1 through 12, does it matter to you? What would you pick? Um, I I would probably pick one of the later picks so that I can have that wraparound in a snake draft um, and because I don't like taking a running back in the first round. But you can win from any position. It's about how you draft, not where you draft. You can find players you need at any position you're drafting at. I agree with you. You could have picked Brandon Lloyd or someone like that last year, regardless of whether you were picking first or last. You know, you mm-hmm. you would have been available, if not on the waiver wire, certainly towards the end of your draft. And unless you're in a crazy a format with Lloyd 32 teams, fixation today. <laughs> probably. So now, draft position. We both agree that that doesn't matter. So don't waste time or energy fretting about that or getting upset if you don't get the one you want. How much attention should you pay to bye weeks during a draft? Does does that matter at all to you or not? It matters. It definitely matters to me because I make sure that I'm going to have a starter to fill every position for every week of the season because I like to draft backups and players that will complement my starters bye weeks. And that way I don't have to be constantly on the waiver wire dropping people all the time. I like to stick with what I have from the draft as much as possible throughout the season. I'm guessing you have a little less roster turnover during the course of the season than I do. Significantly less. (laughs) All right. So one last question. I lied before. I said a couple, but this is actually the third one. So what do you think about the idea of picking multiple players from the same team? Is it a good idea to do that? Is it a bad idea to do that? Or does it really not matter in the end? Um, For me, I try not to have more than two guys from the same team, and I prefer not to have quarterback, wide receiver, or quarterback tight end tandems if I can avoid it just because if you go up against a tough defense or you get stuck in a blizzard, your whole team suffers and you could lose a week just from one game not going well. I like to have it spread out. and What? You have backups. I do have backups and I could start them, but say it comes out of nowhere or a defense overperforms or somebody gets hurt in the tandem. I don't want to have to rely so much on one team's performance on a Sunday. I want to have guys in all different games so that they can all perform well. I like to not be too tied down to one team. I guess I was thinking more of the blizzard where it's something you can actually predict ahead of time. It's not like you can predict that... uh, Sure, even the Detroit Lions 
you know, from two seasons ago could have had a good defensive game and you would have been hosed if you had started a, a running back and a, I mean a, a quarterback wide receiver tandem in that particular game. But so let's mm-hmm. move on then to in season strategy. So now we've had our draft, we've had a great draft, but now things start to go wrong. Maybe our second or third wide receiver goes hurt gets hurt in the opening week of the season, and now we've got to go look at the waiver wire. So let's just touch on, just in general, you know, not not so much the different um, types of, of uh, waiver wire systems, but you know, what do you look for in the waiver wire? Do you use it um, frequently? Do you use it only as a last resort? Or, or when do you decide, how do you decide whether or not to use the waiver wire? Uh, well, a couple of things are going to go into it. I'm not a huge fan, like I mentioned before, I like to pick a team and stick with it. So I'm not doing a lot of dropping and adding and trades if I can avoid it. I like to stick with my guys. But you need to know what kind of waiver wire you have that you don't want to go pick up somebody for one week that could be worthless if it's going to hurt you down the line in your waiver priority or things like that. Know what you're getting into before picking somebody up. Just be sure, like, knowing your league scoring, same thing. But for me, I like to pick a guy up more on seeing something over the course of a week or two than just having a hunch. I'm not a huge, huge waiver wire person. I use it some, but not a ton. See, in my mind, the waiver wire is an, the waiver wire is an extension of your roster. Anybody on that waiver wire can be on your team. It's almost like a taxi squad. Obviously, you don't have unlimited or never-ending access to that squad because people are always going to be moving on and off that as other teams make their moves. But you have but to drop somebody to pick somebody up off the waiver wire. I like you do, but my rule of thumb would be that obviously I need to feel the starting team, but once I've done that... I look at the players that aren't starting and I say, if there's somebody on that waiver wire, for whatever reason, suppose that somebody had a breakout game the first week of the season, some receiver got 100-plus yards, and I'm carrying some rookie-wide receiver that I don't think is going to get much playing time during the season, and I just drafted him at the end of my draft because he's a high-ceiling guy, I absolutely swap him out. Or I might even say, you know what, the last couple positions on my bench – I don't care. I'm just going to pick some guy, and then the second somebody gets hurt, I know it's that one or two roster spots that I'm going to swap people out and move people into. So I think that's a legitimate uh, strategy. Yeah, it's not one I use. But if you drop a good player on their bye week just because you want to fill a spot, I will come pick them up. <laughs> I'm not saying I would do that. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying that I would I'm have, saying there are people who might, do that, though. There are people who do that when we were talking about do you pay attention to your bye week or not. There are people who use a waiver wire like that. Well, for kickers or defenses, most defenses, I could, for just about any kicker, I could argue that that would be a, a, a smart thing to do. Defenses, you know, if you have a top defense, obviously you're not going to go cutting them during a bye week, but... Other than that, if you've got a mediocre defense and you tell me you just want to play matchups every week and 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 pick whoever the the Cincinnati Bengals are playing against this week, that that makes perfect sense to me. It just it doesn't do it for me. But All right. let's move on. So so another alternative, suppose you're Jana and you don't find anything you like on the waiver wire. You just don't like to use the waiver wire. And meanwhile, your opponent who does like to use the waiver wire is taking all the good players off of that. 
Another option you have is to consider trades. So are you an active trader, Jen, or will you make trades during the season? What, what do you like to rely on more, trades or waiver wire, and how do you use trades to help your team if you use them? I use the waiver wire more than I use trades. I, For me, trades are really like a last resort. I prefer not to just because it's really – I find it's difficult, especially if you're playing in a league of people who are all – seasoned fantasy football players that it's it's not always easy to find what you need at a price you're willing to pay. So like I said, there's I don't have a lot of roster turnover. That's just not how I play fantasy football. But there are things you need to look at when you do look at trades. You need to evaluate all your alternatives first. Is there somebody on the waiver wire? That's always a better option if you can get it. But you need to know, like with the waiver wire and your league scoring, when your league's trade deadline is because it's different in every league and you don't want to miss it. <laughs> you need to know if you're a person who trades a lot when it is. And then, well, here's the sc- go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, All no, right, go ahead. here's a scenario where I think a, a trade might make sense. You're in a league that only starts one quarterback, but you have a backup, and there are several backups. Uh, you know, it's a 10 or 12 team league, so there's still some backups left if you needed to get them. But all of a sudden, your star running back gets hurt, and you've got your stud quarterback that you drafted for you in the first round, for me in the seventh or eighth round, and then all of a sudden, the second quarterback that you probably drafted in the twelfth round, and I drafted in the eighth round, turns breaks I, out I, and I don't has draft a Josh backup. Freeman I don't type draft, of year. Not inaccurate. <laughs> No, but my my point being that would you consider drafting, I mean, trading that second quarterback that's broken out or maybe even the the stud because you know you now have a capable fill-in, would you consider trading that person for somebody else's star running back? Maybe they have an extra running back that they can't start and you have an extra quarterback that you can't start. To me, that seems like that would be a good matchup for a trade then. Would it you makes agree? sense. It doesn't always work that way. Oh no, of course it doesn't. I mean, and it's for very, me, there would be more. There would be more that would go into it than just this looks good. I mean, I like to play matchups. Maybe I want to have both those quarterbacks, and you know, it just it depends on the waiver wire and the other team and your team and where you are in the season. There's a lot you have to consider in a trade. All right, I, I guess I'm to me. I want my best team out on the on starting on my lineup and you know, especially once you get into the playoffs to me the quality of my bench is almost irrelevant. You know, I'd rather have you know, ten all stars and ten guys nobody ever heard of at the end of the season than you know, ten very good guys and you know, ten capable backups. But you know, that's that's just well, me. Well we play fantasy football very differently and that's we do and that's why it's it. fun to do a show like this. It would be boring if we agreed on everything. So Moving along then, how about um, sit-start decisions? What what do you think? Uh, should I always be starting my studs? Should I be playing matchups? What what are your what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't think you should always be starting your studs if they're not performing like studs. Uh, if if they're underperforming and you have somebody else on your roster that's going to be just as good or better and potentially has a better matchup, they should be starting. You need to be considering more than just the name in your lineup. You need to look at who they're playing and how they've been playing. So, no, I'm more of a matchup person. I agree. So you're willing to bench 
Aaron Rodgers or Chris Johnson, assuming that he's playing this year, you're willing to bench a guy like that if they have a really tough matchup, especially in your playoff weeks. Am I am I capturing your point of view correctly? Yeah, if they're not playing as well as they should be and someone else I have on my lineup is, I'll absolutely bench them. I have no problem well, with that. Well, not if they're just not playing well. Suppose Aaron Rodgers is at the top of his game, but he's playing a defense like, I, I know they're not playing this season, but if he's playing the Steelers' defense, would you, you know, and, and you had Josh Freeman, say, playing against, I don't know, the you know, the Redskins' defense or something like that, would you – or the, the – yeah, that's not a good example maybe, but would you example. automatically start <laughs> – would you automatically bench Aaron Rodgers in a case like that, in, or would you still example, say? In this example, no, I would not, <laughs> because I would be thinking about it's the end of the season. Are they trying to get in? Does Green Bay need one win to get in the playoffs? Aaron Rodgers may have more incentive to play well, even against a tougher defense. There are a lot of factors. I think it's it's if you have you know Joe Flacco and Matt Ryan, and one's playing a lesser defense, then yeah, I'm going to start Joe Flacco over Matt Ryan, but. It, there are a lot of uh, things that go into it for me. All right. In my case, if I have a Peyton Manning or an Aaron Rodgers and they have an unfavorable matchup towards the end of the season in a game that I need to win or even more so in the playoffs, I'm willing to bench them because you know, I, I'd rather lose with what I think is my best team on the on you know playing on my roster that week rather than you know just start a guy because I think people are going to laugh at me or make fun of me because I'm, I'm not, not saying that I'm name. starting a guy because I think I'm going to get made fun of. I'm saying that the defense isn't the only thing, and that in the example of Josh Freeman and Aaron Rodgers, I'm not going to say Josh Freeman's necessarily going to be better just because his defense is a little weaker. I think there's there's more that goes into it. No, I agree. It's a balancing act between the ability of the player, the difference in their abilities versus you know, the potential, the difference in the abilities of the defenses that they're facing. You know, all things being equal, a good quarterback should have the advantage on a good defense because they know ahead of time where the ball's going and the defense doesn't, but you know, it doesn't always work out that way. So anyway, moving on here. So, you know, we both agree that playing matchups is, is generally a good idea. Is weather a factor for you in your decisions? It sounds like from what you said before in the in the draft segment that it would be. Uh, yes, your absolutely. Sit -start for me, I I definitely pay attention to if somebody's playing in Chicago or a bad weather city or, you know, if it's a team changing time zones or something. I I pay attention to those things and I factor it into who's starting and who's not because I think it's important. Most people, not so much. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could probably put me in the bucket with the most people then. So, mm -hmm. but all right. So we've got a couple more topics we want to cover now. Do you decide any differently, or do you make your sit-start decisions any differently in the playoffs than you do during the regular season? No, I do it exactly the same. If anything, I would think for me the matchups matter even more during the playoffs than they do during the regular season. But either way, I they're win, important. I want to win every game in the regular season. I, I want to win every game in the playoffs. To me, it's I play the same way year-round. Okay. Now, how about you're getting ready for the playoffs? What are your um, – are you doing anything differently? Suppose you've already clinched a spot and it's several – weeks before the, the playoffs start? Are you going to try to 
win every game so that you get a buy, or if you looked at your roster and saw, hey, you know, I have a couple guys that I'm counting on that are usually my big scores that happen to have bad matchups during the playoff week, would you think of trading them for a quote-unquote lesser player who might have a more favorable schedule during the playoff weeks, even if it costs you a buy in the first round of the playoffs? I I like, to stick with my, I like to think stick with my guys. If it means that I get a buy or I don't get a buy, I I'd prefer to have the buy. But if push came to shove, I'm not going to turn over half my lineup to get it. I agree with that. That sounds reasonable. But I am willing to make a, a trade where I give up a quote unquote better player in exchange for a guy who I think has a more favorable schedule during the playoff weeks. It has to obviously be a reasonable, reasonably small pretty, gap pretty in, the down, in the ability levels. I'm not going to trade you, you, Aaron, Adrian Peterson for LeGarrette Blunt or anything like that, or at least not this year. But uh, in general, I, I think that you know, that's it's probably you know, more important to stick with the better player. But so now we've gotten ready for the playoffs, and you. Know, and we're all set. Any any last words of advice for people during the uh, the title week? Should they be concerned at all with what the other team that they're facing is doing? I mean, if if your team has consistently scored ten points more than my team every week of the season, and I'm facing you in the finals, and I know I have a guy that can go off, but there's a seventy five percent chance he's going to you know give me a goose egg or not very much, are you willing to start those higher-risk guys, the higher-risk, higher-return guys, if you think that you're going to lose just starting your, your standard lineup? Uh, yeah, of course. If it's for all the marbles, if this is the finals of the playoffs, definitely I'll throw some high-risk guys out because realistically, what's the worst that could happen? I finish second. And while that may suck in some leagues that you know money's on the line or bragging rights or whatever – I, how smart are you going to look if one or two of those guys go off and you win by 15 points instead of losing by 10? I mean, it, it's worth it to me. Now, how about the – and I know this is really the last question we have time for, but suppose the roles were reversed and you were with the team that was favored and you knew that I was going to do what I was just suggesting and start all my high-risk guys that if they hit, you know, I, I might even score 10 or 15 points more than you do. Would you take some corresponding risks then or would you just say that person's going out on a limb anyway and if my team does what it should do, I'm going to win, so I'm not going to go and take any dumb chances then? No, if I'm if I'm consistently doing better than you are with what I've got and it's the best team I can put out there, I'm going to keep going with that. And if your risks pay off and you win, more power to you for taking the risks and going out on that limb. You deserve to win then. So, no, I wouldn't change what I was doing if I were in that position. All right, so there you have it. Hopefully you've gotten a good sense of different <laughs> Uh, ways of approaching both the draft and the in-season strategies for for putting together and maintaining a winning team. So any last words on strategy, Jana, or do you want to give people an idea of how they can reach us during the week and what's coming up the next couple of weeks? Well, there are plenty of ways to reach us during the week, and also we are going to be having 4th and Inches Fantasy Football Leagues again this year. So if you are interested, please contact us on Twitter or or email and let us know so we can get you the information. We're going to be setting those up this week. 
And all week long, you can find us on Twitter at the number 4THN Inches Show. That's the number 4THN Inches Show. We're on the same handle for our email, the number 4THN Inches Show at gmail.com. You can find us at fantasyfootballsherpa.com and on the Fantasy Football Sherpa fan page on Facebook. And again, keep an eye out for those links to the web shows that we recorded yesterday. They should be up later this week. And we will be back here again next Wednesday night from 9.30 to 10.30 Eastern. And we hope you come join us again then. And don't forget about letting us know if you want to play fantasy football with us. See if your strategies match up with ours. Yes, let us know about the 4th and Inches League. And if you want to prepare for the 4th and Inches League, the best way to do that is to go over to fantasyfootballsherpa.com and... Use that tool to help you rank players <laughs> and put your know. roster together. Thank you for listening, no, guys. But the reason I bring week. that up is the 2011 projections are available now. They were only put up yesterday. People may not know that. So go and and lay waste to the, the fourth and inches crew. All Have right. We ran a little bit over, so hopefully people catch us on the podcast version of this. But we will see you again next week. Thank you so much.